Okay, we have uh, been going through the Gospel of Mark this semester, and we are not going to get through everything in the Gospel of Mark. You probably have noticed that since I've spent most of the time in chapters 1 through 8. But tonight we're in chapter 10, and uh, this is, again, um, a story where, you know, kind of with that same theme of Jesus I my cross have taken, Jesus is showing us what true leadership is. He's, he's showing us that true leadership is totally opposite of what the world thinks of leadership being. In fact, I was watching C-SPAN or CNN or something today, and they were uh, there's a House committee interviewing and basically uh, um, asking a lot of questions of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Do you, do you know who these people are? Do you know what these? This is like the mortgage companies, the federal mortgage companies, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae. So there's all these executives in there, and uh, some of these guys are making eight, nine million dollars a year. And so these House of Representative guys are like questioning them, like, you know, do you think this is right? Your company's lost, you know, several billion dollars, and et cetera, et cetera. But um, I don't think any of these guys feel guilty about how much money they're making. Um, and uh, but it goes to show you to some extent uh, people. People want to be in leadership positions. They want to make a lot of money. And uh, they don't really want to serve. I mean, this is the nature of our heart. And so, if you, if you would, look at Mark 10. And uh, you can read up there, or if you have your Bibles, 32 uh, to 45. Hear God's Word. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, He began to tell them what was to happen to Him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days, He will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we, we are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many." 
This ends the reading of God's holy word. I just want to talk about this idea of what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. And again, it's totally opposite of what you and I think and what our world thinks, really what the culture thinks. And Jesus, in this passage, really turns it on its head. And He, and he says it's totally different than what you think. And so, I just want to look at these things. Um, leadership means, first, that we recognize... Um, Ultimately, that we have a commitment to ourselves. In other words, to be a leader means you have to be humbled by your own sinful condition. I think this is what Jesus is getting at. In fact, there was a pastor by the name of Jack Miller. He was an evangelist, missionary. He said, cheer up, you're worse than you thought. You may have heard me say that. But basically, he's saying, your sin nature is bigger than you think. And... I think part of this passage is this contrast of Jesus going up to Jerusalem to the cross on one hand, and on the other hand, James and John just wanting to be leaders and wanting to to be seen. There's a huge contrast. And so, you see it here in 33 and 34. Jesus is speaking to them about His coming death. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man Himself will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days, He will rise. This is an interesting section here because this is the third time that Jesus specifically tells His disciples about His coming death in Jerusalem. And with each time, He gets a bit more graphic about how He will die. And here he's saying they will mock him, they will spit on him, they will flog him, they will kill him. Um, And yet, at the same time, the disciples are not thinking at all about what Jesus just said. In fact, there may be, maybe they 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 hear the fact that he's going to die, and they say, and they're thinking, "Gosh, we better get our request in because he might not be here too much longer." So let's, we better ask our question now. Hey, Jesus, can we sit on your right and your left hand when you come in your glory? I mean, it's almost ridiculous. Jesus is talking about his most important action, and they are just thinking about themselves. Thirty-five. In 37, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, said to him, Hey, by the way, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. I mean, it's almost comical. They want to be big shots. They want to be with Jesus. They hear about Jesus in His glory, and they automatically think, Hey, He's coming in glory we're his close friends. We're the twelve. In fact, James and John are closer than that. They're like part of the three. Peter, James, and John were kind of the inner circle of Jesus' cabinet, so to speak, you know? And so they are thinking, hey, Jesus is coming in glory. To them, that meant he's setting up his, his kingdom now. You know, he, we're going up to Jerusalem. Uh, this is it, guys. He's going to reign. He's going to bring in the kingdom. He's going to kick out all the Romans. Now's the time. Maybe we can sit with Him on His right and His left hand. They're totally clueless. They don't understand what Jesus is all about. And so, uh, there's a real you know, um, cluelessness in their minds. And Jesus says it in 38. You do not know what you are asking. That's kind of the understatement. Uh, but in other words, you're stuck on yourselves. 
You're stuck on yourself. And he begins to tell them about drinking the cup and being baptized. And he's, he's talking about his death. Uh, when the cup is mentioned, he's talking about God's cup of wrath that Jesus will drink. And the baptism in this section is meaning his death that he's going to go through. Um, but yet, there's something deep in these disciples' hearts that says, we just want to have power. We just want to lead. And we want to rule. Deep inside of them, there's this issue of just wanting to be number one. Right up there with Jesus. And so, you know, the first part of leading as a believer is coming to understand that about yourself. That each one of us has that same thoughts in our minds. We want to be number one. I want to be up there. I want to rule. Uh... I want to be in that position of power. Um, I want to be there so that everybody can see it's me and I made it and I did it. Look at me. I mean, this is what our culture thinks. This is what the University of Maryland thinks. This is what it means to climb the corporate ladder. Or, you know, a lot of people like, I got to get that GPA so I can get into that job, so I can get into that company, so I can have that lifestyle, so that I can be seen, so that I can be powerful. Do you see that in your own heart? Do you see deep inside of you is this desire to just be selfish and lead and not care about anything else? Martin Luther called it the inward bent, that everything comes back to ourselves, that we want to be the rulers, that we want to be in control. So do you see that in your own heart? In fact, one of the reasons why we do mission trips, we're planning on going to Peru. You know, and one of the reasons why we want to do more service Things. You know why? Because every time I go on a mission trip, every time I'm put out of my element in serving, and it's not necessarily mission trips, but any time I get out of myself and decide to serve people, guess what? There's a big fight that's going on in my heart. And the fight is, I'd rather be home watching ESPN. I'd rather be watching the game. I'd rather be relaxing. And Jesus is calling me to serve. And it hurts. It's hard. I don't really want to do that. I don't want to think about other people. I don't want to give away my priorities and do what Jesus wants me to do. And so this is one of the reasons why with RUF we like to do mission trips because it gets us out of ourselves. This is one of the reasons why we want to see like our service ministry um, grow so that, we're, so that you're confronted with your selfishness, but at the same time, you're confronted with the grace of Jesus and the Gospel too. Because the more you see of your sin, the more you see how much you need Jesus to get out of yourself and to serve people. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Um, leading, in a biblical sense, means uh, we submit to authority. Leading, in a biblical sense, this is kind of opposite, means we actually submit to authority. Um, so as the dialogue goes on with Jesus and, and James and John... Um, Jesus begins to talk about His coming death. And finally, in verse 40, He says this. He comes to this conclusion with the guys. He says, hey, listen. To sit at My right hand or at My left hand is not Mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. What's going on here? In other words, Jesus is saying that to place people... In leadership, in those positions, guess what? It's not even His... Um, he doesn't have the authority to do that. 
He's pointing to his father. He's saying, guess what, guys? I don't have the authority to appoint those people. That's going to be from my father. He's referring to his father here. And so now we're thinking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in this role as the Son, submits to the will of the Father constantly. In fact, that's what you see all through the Gospels, don't you? Jesus says, I need to do the will of my Father. You know, it is my Father's will that I go to the cross. It's my Father's will that I do this. That, that My biggest glory and joy is to do my Father's will. So we have Jesus, who is God, this is mysterious, who's equal with God at the same time, in His role as the Son submits to the will of the Father. This is what we have going on here. It's submission. And, uh, and, and ultimately, you know, He calls us as well to be people who are under authority. Uh, under His authority. Uh, under the authority of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Under the authority of His Word. You know, basically, what a Christian is is somebody who sits underneath this. Literally. <laughs> they, that they say, guess what? There's a lot of ideas out there floating around in the world. There's a lot of ideas floating around in my mind. But Jesus is saying His Word is truth, so I'm going to like submit myself to this Word. I'm going to submit myself to this authority of His Word. And basically, sin okay, is ultimately just anarchy. It's just saying, no, I'm not going to submit to God or His Word. Uh, I think it was... R.C. Sproul, he calls it cosmic treason. You ever heard that phrase? It's like when we sin, it's like cosmic treason. We're taking, you know, the world and we're totally going against everything that God has said. But, I mean, this kind of makes sense. I mean, I know that there's ROTC people in here, uh, people that are familiar with the armed services and so forth. And, uh, I mean, what if, like, every first class private in the service just started doing whatever they wanted to do? Okay, this probably would not go over real well. Okay, especially in battle, if they just started doing whatever they wanted to do. I mean, think about D-Day. Okay, what if they said the beach that we're going to, guys, is the Bahamas? <laughs> it's like we're not going to go over there, and they disobeyed. I mean, you would have bonded. We would be eating a lot of sauerkraut right now, probably. Okay. Um, so the church is is under the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You, if you are a believer, you're under uh, His authority. And, uh, and so part of what it means to lead is that we submit first to the Lord. Uh, and, and we submit to those who are in authority over top, over top of us. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and here's the, here's the wonderful thing about submitting to God. God is good. God knows who you are. He made you. He created you. Uh, he knows what's best for you. And so, when you submit to Him, it's a, loving, uh, it's a loving God who knows the best for you. It's not some dictator or tyrant. We're submitting to a God who loves us and knows the best for us. The problem is us. <laughs> the problem is our sinful nature and our cosmic treason. We're trying to get out of everything. You know? And God gently you know, spanks us, so to speak, and brings us back. Uh, uh, under his his care and his love, and so it's important as you think about leadership. If you're in a leadership position, um, that means you're also under authority. You're under the authority of other people, 
Um, if you're still living at home and you're, most of you are, uh, some of you are, do, you're under the authority of your parents. Now, you're kind of in that in-between right now. You're becoming independent as well. Um, but one of the good applications of this is, is the church. Um, because the church is a place um, where if you are saying to yourself, I need to be under the authority of older and wiser people. And so when you join a church, for instance, you're, you come before the elders and you talk about your faith in Christ. And uh, you actually come into a relationship, a shepherding relationship, where they're, they're your overseers and they can help you and they can encourage you and they can pray for you and they can also discipline you and call you on the carpet when you need it. And uh, this is what the church is all about. But guess what? A lot of people in our culture don't like that. Because we, in America especially, we're independent people. We like to, we like to you know, be out on the range. And we, we like to be the captain of our own lives. We like to do what we want to do. And so this is where Christianity and the Gospel and the church totally goes against our sinful nature. Because it says, no, hey, come into this community. You know, uh, submit to, to elders. Um, and so, a question for you, a question for me is, have you thought about joining the church? If you're a believer, have you thought about joining the church? Have you thought about saying, hey, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to go opposite the culture here, opposite my sin nature, and say, hey, I want help. I want the people that I can go to and I can be under uh, submitting to their leadership submitting to their direction, their counsel, their shepherding. And, uh, and so, you know, even me, like, you know, I'm a campus minister in the PCA, and last week there was a guy here, Mike Coleman, okay? And Mike is my, uh, he is actually my boss within RUF, and he's a pastor of a church, but there's a committee. I told you guys this, I have a committee. And uh, they're kind of my overseers, and so I submit to them, you know. And uh, they talk to me, they ask me questions, etc. They help me, they encourage me, they pray for me. But I'm not alone, and that's a good thing. Because I'm a sinner, and I need to have other people over top of me that say, Hey, uh, you know, we're with you in this. We need, you need help. And I was like, Amen, I do. Okay, so being a leader you know, means you submit to the Lord and you submit to other people that are over top of you. Third thing, leading means serving. And this is the real nuts and bolts of this passage. Leading ultimately means serving. Leading does not mean lording it over. And so Jesus says this in 42 and 45. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. There's a lot in here. Okay, but when He talks about even... or consider the rulers of the Gentiles, who are those guys? Okay, it's Rome. Okay? Rome was controlling. They were, they were over top of Palestine at that time, right? It was all about Caesar. Okay? Caesar was a god. And uh, his word was it. And so when Rome would come into a ter- territory, it was hail Caesar or you were dead. Uh, their military might, their swords, their spears, their armor, their chariots, their horses, 
This is what caused people to submit and say, Hail Caesar! Okay? And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works with true leadership. Um, that's not how it works. But instead, it works like this. It works with humility. It works with getting down low and helping people. Uh, it, it works with caring for the sick, the poor, the dying. Um, it, it, it means uh, loving the unlovely. It means loving people that are different than you. Uh, it's totally opposite of the way that the Romans would come into a territory and rule. And so Jesus is the one who makes the most amazing illustration of this, actually in John 13, where we have the Lord of glory coming, and then, if you remember, the night before uh, He went to the cross, He was with the disciples in the upper room, and after the supper, what did He do? He washed their feet. He takes off His outer garment, He gets the basin of water and the towel, and He goes around, and He washes their feet. He does what a slave would do. He does what the lowest person in that society would do. He washes their stinky, sewage, dusty feet. And He says that this is what it means to love. This is what it means to serve and that you should do that as well. But ultimately, we'll get to this in the next point, it means He goes to the cross and He dies for us. And so... It's interesting how Jesus uses this term for even the Son of Man came not to be served. That word, Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite phrase for Himself. I don't know if you've noticed all through Mark, He'll call Himself the Son of Man. Okay, And what He's doing is He's referring back to Daniel in chapter 9. Pretty sure it's chapter 9 where Daniel has a vision and uh, it's a vision of the Lord of glory coming. And it... And it and it says it was he was like a son of man coming in the clouds. And so Jesus is saying, That's me. I'm the ancient of days, I am the Son of Man coming in glory. And I am here now. I am the Son of Man walking with you. And look what I'm gonna do. I am going to serve. <laughs> the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If anybody could come and say, I've come to lord it over you, it would be Jesus, and he would be right to do that. Because He is God. But yet, what does He do? He serves. He gets down on His hands and knees and He washes their feet. So the question is, as you think about your life, is that part of who you are? Do you serve? I mean, this is the real nuts and bolts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that you're a person who serves. You're, you're a person who, who, who takes the low position. Um, you're a person who um, thinks about other people. Before yourself, um, and I want to get real practical here, but like within RUF, okay, we have this thing called the RUF Ministry Team, and uh, and some and we'll be explaining more of this as the weeks go on and the end of the semester. But um, there's people on that team that that try to serve you all and me. They they do that in a great way. But there's a large group team that kind of does everything from. Greeting to PowerPoint to set, setting up to doing skits. You guys have seen these people. There's a social outreach team that creates things like the barn dance and that sort of thing. There's small group Bible study leaders. There's the music worship team here. There's sports club people. There's dinner club people. There's all kinds of ways to serve. And uh, what we envision is that within those groups, it's not just the people that are leading, but that you, you all as a whole 
like would be involved in those things and that you would serve. And so we want to help you in the coming weeks to think about like where can I fit into this ministry? Where can I serve? Where can I give back to this ministry? And so if you're a freshman or sophomore and you're new, uh, or even if you're older and you've come and you're new, we're going to like try to figure out ways, you know, what has God gifted you in and how can you serve? This is very real. We want to do that. I mean, I see my job is not doing everything, but helping you do things, helping you serve this campus and, and serve the Lord. But more than that, just outside of RUF in general, I mean, it's, it's those hard things of like really loving the hard to love. Loving roommates, housemates, classmates, family that's difficult. Uh, and it means serving. It, mean, it might mean just spending time with them, having a conversation with them, even though you don't want to. It's like that Klondike commercial. You know, the guy's on the couch listening to his wife. And it's like there's this clock in the background. Five, four, three, two, one. Ah! And the Klondike girls come in. It's like he couldn't even listen to his wife for five seconds. I mean, it's sad. But the question is, are you a person that listens... Do you serve in the way you listen to people and love people? You know, do you do you serve? Do you have that? Do you do you think about these things? Uh, you know, I, I kind of you know you always hear about the eighty percent and the twenty percent. You know, the twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of all the work. Like, are, who are you? Are you you in the eighty? Are you in the twenty? Are you in the eighty? Are you in the twenty? And then this is the last thing, and uh, this is the hopeful thing here. Um, we can only lead by resting in Jesus. We can only serve, because that's what leadership is, by resting in Jesus. And, uh, and really, this is the main point of this passage. So, <laughs> Jesus, in the beginning here, is saying, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, guys. And it says that they, uh, they were amazed <laughs> and they were also afraid. Why? Because Jesus is going to His death. He was going to Jerusalem. He's not running away from it. He's going to His death. Uh, He's going to lay down His life. And that's why Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. This is it. This is the Gospel. How do we serve? How do we get that power to serve? We get it by thinking about Jesus, the King of glory, who laid down His life for us and died for us. We think about what He did for us. And we were His enemies. And He still died. He still went to the cross. He still went to Jerusalem. For us, this is what we focus on when when our hearts are hard. And when we don't want to do anything. We come back to the Gospel and say, man, I am a big sinner, but gosh, Jesus, You are a big Savior. And You loved me even to the end. This is what we get excited about. This is the Gospel. Um, A few of us at the house, we've been watching this other war series called the Pacific a little bit. And there's a, there's a guy in there called John Bassalone. Um, and he was in World War II in the, in the uh, Pacific. And uh, he was actually given, I think he's the only person given both the Congressional Medal of Honor and the Navy Cross. Okay, these are like the two highest honors. And uh, anyway, in this one episode, uh, it... it it's pretty historic. It shows what he did, but they're on Guadalcanal. It's in the South Pacific during World War II. 
the Japanese are there, you know, the American troops come in, and uh, I'm just going to read some of the, the, this phrase here that was pulled off the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor site. But anyway, he was given that for this, for extraordinary heroism, conspicuous gallantry in action against enemy Japanese forces above and beyond the call of duty. While serving with the 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, 1st Marine Division in the Lunga area, Guadalcanal, Solomon Islands, on 24-25 October 42, while the enemy was hammering at the Marines' defensive position, Sergeant Bassalone, in charge of two sections of heavy machine guns, I think this was only about 15 men, fought valiantly to check the savage and determined assault. In a fierce frontal attack with Japanese blasting his guns with grenades and mortar fire, one of Sergeant Bassalone's sections with its gun crews was put out of actions, leaving only two men able to carry on. So one of these areas has got two guys. Moving an extra gun into position, he placed it in action and under continual fire repaired another and personally manned it, gallantly holding his line until placements arrived. A little later, with ammunition critically low and the supply lines cut off, Sergeant Bassalone, at great risk of his life and in the face of continued enemy attack, battled his way through hostile lines with urgently needed shells for his gunners, thereby contributing in large measure to the virtual annihilation of a Japanese regiment. His great personal valor and courageous initiative were in keeping with the highest traditions of the U.S. Naval Service. So basically... He's, he helps his other two guys, he runs out, he grabs another gun, brings it back, he mans a gun, and this all took, I think, maybe over 24 hours of battle, of fighting. He's fixing guns, he's shooting his, uh, uh, you know, his uh, um, machine gun, and ultimately he survives. So he's given the Congressional Medal of Honor, and the Army says, listen, you need to go back home. Go back home and, uh, and be a war hero and help us raise money. So he goes back home. He goes back to, I think it's Buffalo, New York. They throw a big parade for him. And, uh, but that just wasn't him. He wanted to get back over into the war to help out. And so he goes around for a while. He keeps asking the Army to send him back, and they keep denying it. And then finally, they send him back, and he goes to uh, Iwo Jima. And uh, I think it was like the very first day he was there, he was killed in action. Um, pretty amazing story. Pretty amazing story. But you know what? It's amazing because it's sacrifice, but that's what the Gospel is. That's what Jesus did. But Jesus did more. Because Jesus was dying not for His friends, not for His countrymen, but for His enemies. For people who said no. For people who said, I don't want to serve you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. That's who Jesus died for. His enemies. You and me. So that we might serve. And that we might love. And that we might lead well. So let me pray. Father, thanks uh, for this night. Thank You, Jesus, that You are a God who laid down Your life for Your enemies. That you're a God who totally turned around what it means to to lead, uh, and ultimately, Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, uh, coming to serve us with His death on the cross for sinners and enemies. Thank you, Lord. We pray that that would in, would really ignite us to serve well and to love well and to feel Your power when we don't have any power. Um, Lord, that we would cry out to You 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, we're going to stand and close with another song.
ضرور سے ہوں گے نہیں